The Nittany Lions are 2-0. We don't have a hurricane visiting us in State College this weekend, hopefully. Uh, but there are some golden flashes coming to town. Penn State hosting Kent State at noon on Saturday on FS1. Hey, no hurricane's a good thing after the monsoon last weekend in Pittsburgh. I think uh, Penn State will be happy to see some, what, 76 and sunny weather. That sounds good to me. It's September. That's what it's all about. Uh, we'll save the, the, the damp weather and the cold weather for later if we can. But I think, you know, Kent State's coming in off a nice win. Penn State obviously coming off a blowout victory of their own. And uh, two teams here meeting, getting primed up for their respective conference schedules. Penn State starts that next week, but... Coach Franklin wouldn't like us getting too far ahead of ourselves. Interesting matchup and a little bit of familiarity as Trace McSorley has been noted this week. His first start came against Kent State 2016, which served as the first step towards what turned into a Big Ten championship. He is Tyler Donahue. I am Sean Fitz. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting today. We're going to talk about the whiteout game in a couple of weeks. Of course, we're going to preview Kent State, uh, reintroduce the mailbag, which we kind of I, I kind of let, let it get away from us a little bit. But we had plenty of questions there. Um, so, yeah, getting back into it. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one because of the rain that we've had in State College, not necessarily uh, Hurricane Florence. And we hope anybody that's listening that's in that path is, is safe and out of harm's way. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wet one in State College, a little bit of a break through midweek. It's supposed to rain a little bit more on Friday, so there's going to be some lot closures. Uh, yellow lot 12, orange preferred lot, brown preferred lot, family friendly lots are closed. They're telling you don't bring RVs. Um, interested to see how that goes over, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it should be good for game day. Um, just going to be a, a little bit of a hiccup if you're coming into town to uh, to, to enjoy some tailgating. Uh, we're going to start with recruiting today. Penn State started its week with recruiting uh, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, Penn State target, they have him as a cornerback. He can project to a couple different things. We'll talk about that in a second. But off the win over Pitt, uh, James Franklin and Terry Smith went to see him play Friday night. He was there on on Saturday at Heinz Field to witness that. Um, I, I, I got a question about this in the mailbag, and I knocked it out quick. That's just a complete coincidence that he did commit right after the Pitt, Pitt game. He's always been extremely high on Penn State. I think it's been more of, a, of an issue of space for Penn State. They've got some DBs in this class, but... But uh, Porter, I think, has always had his heart set on Penn State. LSU has been in the picture. There's been a, a few really good offers as well. But in the end, I think if he got that green light and he expected to visit later in the season, uh, December actually, um, it, when he got that green light, I think it was just a matter of time before he hopped on board. Yeah, there's no way he walked into Heinz Field saying, the winner of this game gets my commitment. But I know, you know a lot of Penn State – Penn State fans out there were happy to rub a little bit of salt in the wound after that game and, no. uh, <laughs> and stick it to Narduzzi a little bit. But Porter, um, I think you tweeted this or you've noted it somewhere. Uh, measurables, his arm length is, is Mike Asicki like? Yeah, 34 and a quarter inch arms on that, which is a ridiculous wingspan. It's a really good wingspan for a defensive end, and he's a corner. If you look at him, uh, no offense to, to Joey Porter Jr., but those are some long arms. I mean, it's kind of disproportionate. Um, so, so we can see him, you know, Penn State's recruiting him as a corner. He's got really good athleticism, uh, really good ball skills. You can tell he was brought up around the game. Of course, the son of Joey Porter, uh, the Steelers linebacker. But uh, yeah, I think he could, he could be a safety. He could grow into a field linebacker. It's going to have to be a little bit more physical for that to happen, but he's got that frame. Hey, Joey Porter went to, uh, Joey Porter Sr. went to Colorado State as a wide receiver, obviously turned into an all-pro linebacker. So the potential uh, for the same thing to happen 
happen, while I, I wouldn't bank on it, is certainly there. You love the versatility. If you can sign a player in your class, you could see potentially filling multiple roles depending on how things go with his development. That's a plus for the class. And I think right now when you kind of assess this group of defensive back, you really like where things stand. You got Jaquan Brisker. There's a lot of hope that he can be someone who impacts things right away. Uh, Wilson and Rudolph coming down from Connecticut. And, of course, Keaton Ellis, the local state college standout, who was the first member of this class, who is, by the way, off to a great start Have a really this good season. season. And yeah. I, I think he surpassed the three-star status in his own right early on in this season. We'll see where it goes. But I think uh, when you look at these, this addition, uh, something that stands out is the continuation of Penn State taking care of business in Pennsylvania. I mean, they've been signing the top prospects here uh, throughout James Franklin's tenure. We had a piece up this week. The only other teams that have signed multiple blue chip recruits in a single cycle out of Pennsylvania since Franklin arrived, Georgia and Notre Dame. Uh, and that's only happened once in each instance. Penn State has done that every year. Um, and I just think the sign that, you know, to bring in and, and, and move towards bringing in the, the number one prospect of Pennsylvania yet again, it's a, it's a sign of health for the program. Yeah, I think so. And Penn, Pennsylvania, as we've documented several times, down right now, uh, down in 2019, probably going to be a little bit uh, – Maybe better in 2020. It depends how some of those uh, the second tier guys go out. But I mean, it's it, it's one of those things where if you if you can't make it at home, you have to find it elsewhere. But hey, you have to plant your flag. You have to start somewhere. They've got Ellis. Um, they've they've got Porter Jr. They're in on Aaron Young, who they like a lot in state. Other than that, not a ton of offers out there. I think those are the three 2019 Pennsylvania offers. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and they got a chance to go three for three, and that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I and, and I'm not saying that. People can't play in Pennsylvania in this cycle because there's guys committed to Notre Dame. Andrew Kostofik's committed to Notre Dame, and um, the linebacker from Malvern's McGuire. McGuire yeah. is committed to Clemson. And you know, there's some guys that can play, but really no no-brainer guys um, when you're talking about offering from Penn State in this class. And I neglected to mention Andre White, who's committed to Texas A&M. Um, he's a good player and uh, should be a good player for the Aggies. But uh, I, I just you look at the the class of 2018, and and there were so many talented guys beyond Micah Parsons. You know, Zach Koontz was in there, and they had several commits out of, out of the state. It just dropped off all of a sudden. And we talked about this a little bit with Pitt on the podcast last week is, you know, everyone's going to feel that effect. And Penn State is doing so well out of state and, and out of region that they're not feeling it as much as some of these other schools. But getting back to the original point, yes, you do want to lock down Pennsylvania and it's got to be a primary focus, but when it's not there, you you have to go elsewhere. Yeah, and we've seen them do that. This this class, just look at the list. It's a diversified when you think about all the different states represented and some of these targets that are out there. We'll get to it in a bit. The kind of distance going to be traveled for players to get to that Ohio State-Penn State game. There is a wide reach right now, but you got to take care of home turf. It's selective in this cycle but a high percentage on who the, who they're getting and who they're hitting. Yeah, and Penn State now has a, a few defensive backs. You've already covered that. There's some versatility there. Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson are corners. Tyler Rudolph's a corner as well, but I, I think he's in that position where Joey Porter Jr. is, where he could grow into a safety, and he's certainly versatile enough to play that position. Brisker, I think you, you take him and you put him in another lot. I mean, he's, he's not really a guy that you can include in this class because he will be a, a two-year guy. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, stocking that, 
and they they still have a little bit of room there. I mean, you look at uh, the the initial expectations for the for this class were about eighteen to twenty, and you know you're looking at a class that could be twenty three, twenty four people now. So um, you've got room, and anytime you can add length, athleticism, speed in that back four, which we we've, we've seen you know several times, that is obviously a priority for James Franklin. They like to over recruit corner because you can move corners to safety, safety is linebacker, linebacker to DN, and, and further down the line. But it, it, it's been such a priority to have a guy like Lewis Seen, who is going to visit, uh, I think, Michigan next weekend while, when Penn State's out on the road. Um, Noah Pola Gates is going to take an official visit. Johnny Dixon out of Florida is going to take an official visit. Tyreek Stevenson, who's a, a pipe dream from South Florida, but you're going to get him on campus for an official visit. So still pounding away in the defensive backfield. Obviously not a top need for Penn State, but if you can add one of these guys, I mean, I just read off four names and, the, you know, they're four legit four-star guys, if not better. So if you can keep pounding away and adding length and, and speed and versatility to your secondary, I mean, I think you're going to do it. And it hasn't taken long for us to see the importance of depth at defensive back for Penn State this year. You know, John Reed not being uh, available. Uh, you see Tariq Castro Fields make that next step after playing last year. You see Donovan Johnson step up, become a factor. And, uh, you know, let's face it, no one saw the Jordan Minor thing happening. You know, him, him not being available, him being done with college football because of a heart issue. So, uh, yeah, it's an important position to address and, and across the way. Because like you said, a lot of these guys, you may bring them in and, and slot them in one position. A year or two later, they may be excelling at another spot. Yeah, and if you're trying to connect the dots for Joey Porter. I don't think you can look to Lewis Seen. I don't think you can really look to any uncommitted guy. You probably look to Jordan Minor before you look to anything else because this is one of those things that was unexpected. Obviously, they'd love to have him out there and he'd love to be playing, but you, you can't take that risk. So uh, you move on, you add some numbers there, you add some some length, some athleticism. Obviously, the pedigree does not hurt. And uh, I think he's the top player in Pennsylvania by the uh, 24-7 composite rankings. So that never hurts as well. So yeah, yeah. moving uh Moving on, you mentioned the whiteout a little bit ago. Um, man, that's that's going to be a big one. I mean, we've, we've been talking on the site all week. We've been adding visitors just kind of, you know, uh, Brian Doan put something up on the site uh, on Thursday morning as we're recording Thursday afternoon. Hey, a four-star kid from Virginia is going to visit. Okay, it didn't really get much of a response. People want to know who's not visiting. I mean, that, that's how great the visitor list is going to be. Probably expecting about 150, somewhere between 150 and 200 kids, and that list is still working. Uh, Darnell Wright, a five-star offensive tackle from West Virginia, was reported by Brian Doan on uh, Thursday morning or Wednesday evening um, that he's coming up. Um, that's obviously a, you know a big one as Penn State tries to find another offensive lineman. You know you'd like to get Jakai Moore up as well. I just it, it's one of those things where. There is so much talent coming to this game. If I'm going to sit here and list them all, which I'm not, I mean, it's just you're going to forget so many guys, so, so many quality guys. Yeah, there's certain games every year on the college football schedule where there is a spectacle on the field and there is a spectacle off the field because it becomes such a recruiting event. I think every year Alabama LSU is a good example of that. Uh, well, Ohio State, Penn State this year is one of those games to circle on your calendar as a major recruiting destination. Guys are traveling from near. They're traveling from far. Um, and, you know, it, I think this is just maybe next – maybe number two to this is the spring game because we know that was, what, 150-plus guys helped lead to some commitments in the following month. Yeah, I think the quality here in, in yeah. this Ohio State game – I mean, this is the one – when you talk to kids or when we talk to kids – don't talk to kids, everyone. Um, when we talk to kids uh, about when they want to visit Penn State, I mean, you kind of shrug off Kent State. You kind of shrug off uh, Appalachian State. They want to go to the Ohio State game. I mean, and, and I get it. You know, that's that's the one that everybody wants to go to. Uh, you know, you're probably going to have 
have to be turning kids away at some point, but there's there's guys that you can't turn away. I mean, you've got a bunch of official visitors coming in, guys that are committed elsewhere. Uh, Cardell Thomas has been on the radar for a while. David Bell, I think, is is probably one of your top three targets um, out there because he's a phenomenal wide receiver from Indiana. Brian Bressey's going to be here. I'm sure Julian Fleming will, will make the short trip as well. So that's two top five players in the in the 2020 class. So. I mean, it's just the the potential for that weekend is is really scary. We're going to get into that on the site a little bit more next week. But just uh, as we cherry pick some of these names, I mean, you're, you're kind of sitting there like, okay, here's the list already, and we still have two weeks to go and to figure out who's all coming up for this game. And I think something that's rep- important to remember, you and I get asked about this often after games like this and lists like this, like why isn't everybody committing within the next 48 hours after the game, especially if it's a good game for Penn State? I think the thing to remember here is some of these 2020 players, even 2021 guys, we may talk to them a year or two down the line when they make their decisions and pick Penn State, and they could point to this as a turning point for them where Penn State won them over and Penn State had the edge the rest of the way. I remember talking to some guys like Mike Asicki. Uh, he was at that, what was it, triple overtime win over yeah, Michigan. Michigan yeah. Uh, yeah. And that stuck with him. And, and those are the kind of experiences that can become something that you just can't shake and convince you it's the place for you to be. Yeah, you're really setting the table. I mean, it, it's been the case the last couple of years where there's so few current cycle t- targets that are out there that you you know you bring a couple in on official visit and that's fine. I mean, you're probably looking at double-digit official visits for this group. Yeah, staff's going to have a handful. And there's going to be guys uh, uh, there was a guy this week and actually I'm not being a jerk on this one but his name's slipping my mind because I didn't even know Penn State was recruiting him four-star LSU commit running back commit you can look him up on your own but uh, he's going to be coming out for an official visit um, try uh, try on Davis sorry um, but uh, yeah it's uh, it's one of those things where names are just going to come out of left field and it's really cool to follow I mean it's it's one of those things where somebody new is going to pop up and and like I said Hank South from the Alabama site texted me this week hey do you know this kid's coming I said Okay, who is this kid? You know, so it's uh, it, it's a funny thing, but it's a it's a good problem to have if you're Penn State. And it is going to be one of those things where a, a recruit and his family, you know, it's getting later in the week. They're trying to figure out where they want to go. And assuming this is the matchup that we anticipate it to be, there may be some of those last-second decisions where a kid gets in the car on Saturday morning, makes the trip up to Happy Valley, and if he's good enough, he can make that phone call and they'll have the uh, tickets waiting for him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Andy Frank and his staff are going to be quite busy that weekend. I'm sure he's looking forward to to October. So, <laughs> um, Penn State looking forward to Kent State visiting Saturday, as we mentioned, uh, 12 o'clock on FS1. Um, Penn State a 35.5 favorite at the... Uh, last time I checked before we went on the air. To me, that seems about right. Um, not that we're holding out for predictions, but I have 48 to 10 on the site. Uh, really going to depend on Penn State, how it follows through. I, we talk. I have written down here about a fast start. Well, Penn State scored on its first two drives in the first two games of the season, or first drive on the first two games of the season. So how do you carry that over? That's That's been a challenge for Penn State. Obviously, it's been an issue where you, know, you have maybe a turnover or you just – you, you, you really can't – you have the Juwan Johnson drop against Appalachian State or you just can't get going against Pitt. So they have to fight through that, and if they can do that, I think they can put a lot of points on the board on Saturday. I think it would alleviate a lot of concerns maybe about the passing game, especially if Penn State is able to go and put up a 21 nothing kind of advantage early in this game, get Juwan Johnson involved, get DeAndre Tompkins involved. And Trace McSorley spoke for a substantial amount of 
time this week uh, about the fact that the passing game still just doesn't hasn't found its stride. They're still looking for a rhythm. You know, they have put up what ninety plus points through two games, so that's a good sign. Uh, but he knows they need to make sure that those guys are confident because let's face it, that receiver room. The, Johnson, Tompkins, it radiates from those guys. Those are the unquestioned leaders. So I think that's really what you look for when you think of fast start. It's not necessarily uh, Miles Sanders running down everybody. We've seen what he can do. I think it's more about this passing game clicking a little bit more. Yeah, and those guys know what they need to do. I mean, they've been around for a long time. We're talking Juwan Johnson and, and DeAndre Tompkins. DeAndre Tompkins still without a catch, if I'm correct. Correct. Um, it's uh, It's been frustrating to watch, obviously, if you're a Penn State fan. It's been frustrating to watch if, if you're Tompkins or Johnson, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Penn State's – uh, passing game has been able to go to other places. Brandon Polk is, I think, has had a very good start to the season. Uh, Mac Hippenhammer had the touchdown last week, and of course, KJ Hamler's uh, blossoming into a star in two games into his career. So, um, I think that that's a good sign that you can go elsewhere, go away from those guys. But yeah, those are the guys that really need to uh, to, to step up and move. And I don't think we're we're saying anything secretive there. I mean, it's just talented guys that, that need to step up. Yeah, and, and Kent State, you know, it's hard to make of what they've done so far because, let's face it, Illinois, not not the not class good. of the Big Ten. Not and then, good. Not and good. Howard, obviously, you know, that's an FCS program. But uh, looking at the pass defense, Howard threw for almost 500 yards in that first game. They were limited to just about 200 passing yards against Kent State. And the week before, Kent State held Illinois to 75 yards passing in the second half, 190 yards total. And really, you know, took it to Illinois for much of that game and looked like they may pick up their first win against a Big Ten opponent. They fell short. Uh, now they got to come to Beaver Stadium for what will be a different kind of environment. Yeah, I think it'll be a little bit different than Champaign. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned you're not sure what kind of team this is. I'm not sure what kind of team Penn State is. I mean, uh, obviously, 45-point win over Pitt. Depends on the quarter. Right? Yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> it depends on the half, pretty yeah. much. Um, Penn State, as, as we mentioned, has scored early in the game and then you know didn't get back to the, to the end zone until the third quarter against App State. Didn't get back to the end zone until the last minute of the second quarter against Pitt. So we're talking about riding that momentum further a little bit um but 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 getting into kent state i think there, there's one guy in the crosshair here it's crosshairs here excuse me and that's woody barrett i mean former auburn uh quarterback uh bounced from auburn went juco ended up at kent state is now their starter put up some really good numbers in the last couple of weeks he's an athlete um i saw him at the under armor game a couple years ago before he uh, went to auburn uh accuracy not quite his thing but he's an athletic guy that can give you give you some problems yeah and i think if people are just walking into the stadium didn't really listen to the podcast or read our content probably not expecting that Kent State's quarterback was considered a top 10 dual threat quarterback prospect coming out of uh, high school he had offers from Alabama Oklahoma Notre Dame possibly uh, Penn State. State we haven't figured that out Penn State. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah so, but this is a guy who again he 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 has taken a bit of a path. You know, he went to Auburn, had his intentions to be an SEC star, I'm sure. Uh, that didn't work out. He left after last spring practice. And Juco last year showed what he could do a little bit. Ends up at Kent State. And I think it's really interesting that he comes in in conjunction with their coach, Sean Lewis, who has just put together some powerhouse offenses as a coordinator and a quarterback's coach at Bowling Green, at Syracuse. The numbers are really impressive. Uh, and now, you know, for him to step in and have this quarterback come in about a month after his hiring – it's an interesting match, to say the least. It's a good spot for him, yeah. yeah. And, and and Barrett's going to be able to move around. He's got uh, he had a, over 100 yards rushing in the Illinois game, I believe. 
um, or it might have been last week. I'm I'm getting stats mixed up in my head, but yeah, the the point is he can move, and we know that Bob Shoup's def- defenses have struggled against mo- mobile quarterbacks in the past. Ricky, or excuse me, uh, Brent Prize have been a little bit better. Uh, I'm getting all my coordinators mixed up. Uh, Brent Prize have been a little bit better, but this is what this is a test that you'll like to see. I mean, you have to keep him in the pocket, keep him from getting those first downs and extending drives with his legs, and um, it'll be a nice test for the second level of that defense because as we as we mentioned the last couple of weeks, linebackers still far from sorted. Yeah, uh, so Barrett, just to, to give the stats out there, two games, 426 passing yards, 135 rushing yards, five total touchdowns. He does have three interceptions. You mentioned the accuracy. I think it's going to be really important to, to you know, we there was issues with containment yeah. off the edge. I mean, that Franklin came into the press conference after the pick game and, you know, obviously everyone's wondering what the heck happened in the first half. He gave up 200 rushing yards. Uh, they got on the same page. You're going to have to come out there and play Chris because Barrett will torture you. He has that ability as a runner, and he's got a nice backfield. Uh, you know, three guys, including him, are over 100 yards for the first three uh, for the first two games, I should say. But Franklin put it pretty succinctly. He said Barrett is a problem. Yeah, he's absolutely a problem, and. He's when I saw him at Under Armour, he was spraying. I mean, it, he was a broadside of the barn type guy. He could not hit a receiver, um, but but you could see he had he had a live arm. Um, you know, had a lot to work with. And when he got out of the pocket, it you know it was scary for some guys. So he's not an undersized guy. This isn't like a small scrappy runner. This isn't your he's, Mac yeah. typical Mac yeah. uh, athlete guy who gets switched to receiver right away if they, if he goes pro or something like that. But yeah, I mean he's he's a talented guy. He can do some things. And you mentioned the running backs, Joel Shaw, obviously. A, Woodland Hills um, was split carries with Miles Sanders in high school. So he's a talented guy. Went to Lackawanna after uh, Woodland Hills popped up at Kent State. And he started off the season pretty well. Yeah, Shaw, three touchdowns against Howard in his first uh, FBS game. That's pretty impressive. I don't care who you're playing. Um, and, and, you know, and he's just part of that. You know, you look at uh, Justin Rankin. Who is a veteran on this team? I, I believe he was on, he played against Penn State two years ago, so uh, he's been to Beaver Stadium. At least they have a few guys that know what to expect and look around and won't be completely wide eyed by the situation. Uh, but he's had a nice year so far. Um, I, I just think it's really interesting to see um, this offense progress. They so talked about tempo a lot this week in Franklin and the team preparing for that. Um, and because of that tempo, you just want to make sure. You know what, what has been an issue for Penn State when they're not playing well on defense early? Just a stride behind. You know. Uh, you know turning their head at the wrong moments and just playing catch up. If you're playing a fast tempo team, you need to know where you need to be. You need to be accountable. And because of all these rotations that we've seen uh, an assortment of players and, and different packages, uh, that is priority number one, I think, especially early because you don't want to have any confusion that opens the door for a, a renewed level of confidence. Because let's face it, Woody Barrett knows exactly what he can do if he has a big game against Penn State. Win or lose for Kent State, Woody Barrett can put himself on the map as kind of a breakout player. Yeah, he can really advertise himself mm-hmm. this week. And and when you talk about tempo, and this is something Penn State fans have kind of forgotten, is that substitution rule. I mean, Kent State's going to roll out or is going to play without substituting. It's going to cause Penn State to play without substituting. Obviously, if you bring somebody in the game, you have to give the defense time to adjust before you snap the ball, which I know set some people for a loop people in, freaking in, out. in week one. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that is the rule. It has been the rule for a couple of years. You just haven't seen it at Penn State because they haven't really marched anybody in or, in or out. But yeah, that's going to be that that's probably going to take a toll on on the um the, the substitutions and the rotations and everything like that. I don't think it's going to be as sporadic as it was in week one, but I think you're, you're still going to see a lot of guys on Saturday. Yeah, and just to give you an example of what Sean Lewis has done with quarterbacks, he had the Mac Offensive Player of the Year uh, 2015 at Bowling Green, and then some guy named Jimmy Garoppolo at Eastern Illinois. So the track record's there. 
game number three. This is the biggest test for him, but uh, they're putting up a lot of plays per game. I believe they're right around eight, uh, near 80 plays per game, and that's getting creeping up on what he did under Dino Babbers at Syracuse. So, yeah. Penn State, you know, we've seen a lot of snaps spread out. I guess we're going to see the same thing because there should be a lot of snaps uh, regardless of how it goes because Kent State's going to try to try to just extend these things. And, and these, these plays, these drives could be very fast on the scoreboard in terms of time. I mean, they could get a lot of plays in a short amount of time. Might be a long game. Great. Was that Matt Johnson at Bowling Green? <laughs> Matt Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Bishop McDivitt's finest. All right. So we're done with talking about Kent State. We're going to talk about what Penn State <laughs> has to accomplish. Um, obviously, as, this, as we said earlier, not really sure what this team is right now with the 45 point win that's one thing you know that's great um the overtime win over what is looking to be a really good Appalachian State team it looks better than it did than it did at the time but at the same time I mean there's still plenty of holes here with with Ohio State a couple of weeks away you, you want to see them patch some things up and I think we've talked about the position battles and I think Will Fries has established himself as the right tackle I think Garrett Taylor's established himself at safety although he, he still needs to finish off some plays a little bit better but still a couple things that are you know semi I up for grabs you, you look at tight end John Holland's probably your starter but Danny Dalton's gotten nearly equal reps Pat Fryermuth has come in and really done some nice things we saw Zach Koontz on the game field this week so maybe we get to see him uh, over the weekend so I think tight ends a, a very important spot that's still you know sort of up for grabs spoke with Tyler Bowen on Thursday morning and, and you know he's excited about the group overall uh, but it's very clear there's a lot in flux here because week one we talked about this before the podcast Jonathan Holland dominated snaps for the most part Dalton got his share Fryermuth was under 10 against Pitt it was pretty much an even spread now obviously how the game goes is going to dictate a lot of that uh, but on these two tight end sets that we've seen them implement, Frymus out there. You know, Frymus out there. Franklin's calling him mature. Well, he can block. Yes, That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and and Franklin saying that he is just put together at you know in two hundred sixty pound range. He's done everything they asked. He's physically and mentally mature. We've mentioned before he had an extra year at the prep level. Um, That's obviously helped his progress. But really getting the. I don't know, really getting the sense that Pat Fryermuth is in striking distance to maybe become the guy at tight end if he continues to evolve. I don't know if he'll be a the guy this year, but I think he can really stake claim to maybe the most reps out of this group. And that's pretty impressive that we're already talking about that midway through September. You saw my tweet, didn't you? He's 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 gonna be a good one. I, I'm really confident in that one. Um, I asked the question though about the tight ends. I know, but uh, linebackers the other one. I mean, that, and we yeah. we open the mailbag, and most questions are about linebackers. You're, you're Penn State fans, so most of your questions do surround linebackers and linebacker play because that's obviously what Penn State fans do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's still up in the air. James Franklin called Koa and Micah uh, one-two punch this week. I, you said you thought that was interesting. I'm curious what your thoughts are. That. Uh, it's it, you know it's not, he's talked about guys needing to create separation to be considered stars and seizing this and stepping up and that just tells me that there, that clearly hasn't happened with Coa Farmer. It also says that Michael Parsons is pushing now to make it clear the depth chart still reads Coa Farmer and then below him Michael Parsons. There's no or there's nothing like that. But I thought kind of grouping them together as though they were a collaborative. A collaborative team at that specific position. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, you know, Michael Parsons just tied for the team lead in tackles against Pitt. Coe Farmer had one tackle in that game. Snap showed that Parsons is on the rise. Uh, to me, it almost sounded like that linebacker conversation was very 
training campish because we heard I think eight linebackers mentioned in the conversation about three positions, and that tells you you know they are still exploring what works, what doesn't work, who can be accountable next to each other. And Jan Johnson said it as well. He thinks it's a benefit because he says long term these guys are going to know when when a particular play is next to them what to expect. But he said they're still feeling it out. Yeah, and and I think we do see more Parsons this weekend. I think we see we saw Jesse look at it at, at the end of the game, mm-hmm. and actually not really the end of the game in the second half last week when not when it was still close but you know you could you could make an argument that it wasn't just the 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 last the third team or whatever and um so i think you see more of those guys this week ellis brooks you know had a nice little game on saturday um he was all big 10 by pro football focus which just makes me scratch my tackle game no no offense to ellis brooks but i'm not sure what you're seeing to put him on an all big 10 team um but yeah you're gonna see a lot of those games what did james franklin say the three-headed monster or something Three-headed monster at middle linebacker and jan johnson had a lot of good things to say he like everyone does pointed to luketa's intelligence and his ability to kind of lead when given an opportunity and then ellis brooks he said he you know he just finds ways to get to the football and by the way even in Cam Brown, you know, in the case of Cam Brown, who has been the one guy that Franklin pointed to as gaining separation heading into the season, at least, he was very, Franklin was very quick to mention Darian, uh, very quick to mention Jarvis Miller as guys they felt made positive steps against Pitt. Yeah, that, that three deep at Sam, I think is a little bit better than I thought it was. You weren't sure where Jarvis Miller was going to be. He's made some plays in the first two weeks. Still don't think he's there as an every down guy. Cam Brown, I thought, you know, took a step forward in week two. And Dalen Darian, Darian uh, showcased, you know, I think he he's sort of like Cam in that he covers a lot of ground. He's a really That's athletic deep. kid. Yeah. Um, he's got a, he's got a lot of length, moves side to side pretty well. So I, I was excited to see him out there. Um, and yeah, if you're talking, well, we've talked about eight linebackers so far, which is what you said earlier. So I think you see more of that this weekend. Um, and, and whether or not you know where they'll stand going into Illinois or Ohio State or whatnot. I think that's still up in the air. We've gotten questions about who's going to be the starter. I mean, I, I would I would go with the chalk right now and go with uh, Koa, Jan, and Cam. But Micah's he's going to make it difficult for, for them to keep Koa Farmer there all season long. That's what everyone wants to know. That's what everyone wants to hear. Every, yeah. yeah, well, every, <laughs> everyone wants to know what is the deal going to be a linebacker when Ohio State comes to town because – Let's face it, they've looked really good through the first couple of weeks. Ohio State's offense typically looks really good. Uh, and with Dwayne Haskins, he's a guy who can really hurt you in a couple of different ways. And, you know, not to get too far down the road, but that game has been looming since the schedule got into focus after yeah. the Fiesta and Bowl. I, and I think the concern there, you, you've got Jan Johnson in the middle, who I think has played better than people will give him credit for. I think he's he's, he's assumed that Troy Apke whipping boy uh, position pretty well. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are still holes in his game. And athletically, I'm not sure that he can hold up against Ohio State. I don't know that he's fast enough to chase those guys around. I think Penn State plays two linebackers a lot against Ohio State anyway because of the passing game. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's still plenty of questions in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Kent State will try to run the football a little bit more. Illinois, of course, uh, kind of a, a, a <laughs> kind of a bad football team that's going to try and run the football as well. Um, but that's a Friday night game next week. Uh, yeah, so th- th- there's going to be plenty of snaps to go around. I think we're going to see a lot of those guys, and it's probably going to be frustrating because you're probably going to see one or two lapses by the young guys. And the best news that came out of this past week for the linebackers, aside from some nice positive strides that Franklin mentioned, was having Kevin Givens in front of them because, boy, was he impressive against Pitt. We talked about this earlier recapping that game, but I felt kind of like Kevin Givens' week here in Happy Valley because almost every interview, his name was brought up. And whoever you're speaking with was mentioning matchup nightmares, 
you know, how dynamic he is. I thought it was really cool this uh, on Thursday morning to speak with Tyler Bowen because last year he was game planning against Kevin Givens as Maryland's offensive line coach. Uh, and he really just talked about his, how much of a disruptor he is. And, you know, linebacker's best friend is a good defensive line. And to see that major leap that they made, especially in the second half, and Givens being such a big part of it, MVP-like performance, uh, that, that can't hurt the linebackers. Yeah, and he got a haircut this week too. So he's going to be even faster, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, yeah, Givens is, is obviously – one of those guys that you can lean on. I still like the play of the defensive ends as well. Mm-hmm. So I think front four is coming around. Um, defensive tackle beyond Givens, kind of a crapshoot right now. But, you know, I think they'll be okay at least the next couple of weeks. So um, still plenty of questions there. Uh, receiver we talked a little bit about earlier. Those older guys really need to step back up and, and do their thing. We know they can do it. It's just a matter of them getting to do it. And a guy like Ricky Slade. Fumbled twice last week. I think he played, what, four or five snaps and fumbled twice. Carried, touched the ball four times. Touched the ball half four the time times. he lost it. Yeah, that's not ideal, yeah. uh, especially for a freshman. I think he's going to have a chance to get out there on the field and, and do some things this week. I think James Franklin obviously has some faith in him as a freshman coming in and playing. And he's, um, he, he probably needs to make amends for that, but I think he'll he'll be okay, and I'm interested to see what he can do this weekend. And the best thing you can do if you're dealing with fumbling issues, quite frankly, is to get the ball back in your hand, prove to yourself once again, Again, that, that you're a heck of a player. You can hold on to the football because the, the longer you're staying away and lamenting it and running through that in your brain, you starts to get in your head and messes with your psyche. I think it's helpful that Miles Sanders had some similar issues as a freshman, putting the ball on the ground. He can be a resource for Ricky Slade. We saw former Penn State running back Larry Johnson reach out to Ricky Slade, show him some support. And, and Franklin, obviously, uh, you know they're going to try to build him up. They don't want to punish him too hard for, for dropping those balls because, let's face it, you know, He's two games into his college career. You don't want to mess with the kid's confidence level too much. And I do expect he'll have an opportunity to, to rebound and, and make plays and be the guy he was against App State. Yeah, uh, and this week we mentioned the new freshman rule several times. Penn State has played a lot of freshmen so far, and I think all the guys that you can that you can look to that have played already are probably going to play out the season, not have to worry about that four uh, four game rule. But you've got guys. You mentioned Jahan Dotson the other day. James Franklin mentioned him the other day. Daniel George could get in there. Jason Awe could get in there. Zach Kuntz we saw on the game field this week. Maybe Aeneas Hawkins or Judge Culpepper or Trent Gordon on defense. So there's a lot of guys that could see their first action. This and we're not going to talk. Like this is, you know, I think we're expecting a blowout. I think Penn State's coaches are hoping that it can be a blowout. And James Franklin said it after the first game is like sometimes things don't go as you plan, which made them think that the App State game probably wouldn't be as close as they were as it was. But at the same time, you've got an opportunity for some of these guys to play. I'm curious about seeing some of them, some of the redshirt freshmen. We saw Sean Clifford come in and throw a, a really nice touchdown pass last week. But you know, if you can see some more regular snaps from him, maybe even see Will Levis this week, which I. I don't know that that's going to happen, but um, I don't think we'll see Tommy Stevens just based on what we've seen in practice. He was out uh, throwing around a little bit after practice uh, Wednesday night, but didn't really see him take any snaps or anything like that. Uh, Justin Shorter is a guy that uh, you know could eventually, I think everyone expected him to play. We expect him to play. Obviously, he's had that injury. I don't think he's moving around well enough for me to forecast that he'll be in this game. But you know, it's a, the, the, there's a lot to like. It, 
you know, as it gets to the third and fourth quarter and you're thinking about heading to the car, I think there's going to be some guys that you have to check your program to see who is that guy, um, you know, running with his uh, second, third team. Yeah, bring your like, hold that roster handy because, uh, folks, you've heard me and Sean talk a lot about this 2018 recruiting class, and you should be able to actually match some skill sets and faces to some of those names and star rankings that we've talked about. Uh, Zach Kuntz at tight end, I mean, it should be fun to see him galloping on the field at six foot seven. You're, you're going to notice him. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's he, something. It's, it'll be interesting. And I think you, you bring up a good point. Sean Clifford, you know, redshirt freshman. We don't know where Tommy Stevens is about his availability, not involved in the first two games. Clifford, great start to his college career, one pass, one touchdown. Yeah, he should just hang him up right now. He's I, not going to get any better. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to see what he can do. And another redshirt freshman who definitely gained some confidence last weekend was Matt Kippenhammer. One catch, one touchdown. We spoke with him after practice on Wednesday. And he's a guy that talked about how competitive that receiver room is and, and how Coach Corley has really stretched to them that positions are open. That's very clear because Polk has now moved up to a co-starter with DeAndre Tompkins. And we've mentioned before, there are six wide receivers, including Hippenhammer and Hamler and Shorter and John. We talked about this group. Six guys who all have four years of college eligibility. How does that sort itself out? Who is ready to you know, claim some reps right now and in, into the season? Yeah, and I think there's guys in that sort of in-between phase where you're talking about the freshmen that we obviously already know. You're talking about the starters, but guys like Cam Sullivan Brown or Journey Brown or you know, guys that can step up. Dalen Darian we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, guys that can step up and 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 we can just see what you've got. You know, we haven't seen them, haven't seen uh, Braylon Faze and Walden at all. You know, it's just guys that can step up in a blowout and see what see what they can do. Um, obviously, we're not calling the blowout, even though I said it was 48 to 10. We were predicting uh, we're, the blowout. We're, 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 <laughs> we're prognosticating yeah. here. Yeah, so uh, it should be fun to see some of those guys. I know you're excited to see Jahan Dotson. Um, Have I mentioned that yet? Yeah, Have I mentioned I think, that name? I think JF listened to the podcast <laughs> last week. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see. Uh, recruiting this weekend. We'll get back into that for a second. Uh, surprisingly good visitor list. Um, you know, a couple of guys, you know, the, you look at the first couple of weeks and, and you think it's a wash. I mean, the App State game, of course, Julian Fleming was there. Uh, Kent State game, noon kick. Uh, you know, it is what it is. You, you're not going to get a ton of these guys to the noon kicks. Um, Mike Carmody is going to be there. Uh, offensive tackle, who I, I'm really high on. Um, he's, he's a converted tight end at Mars um, out around Pittsburgh. He, uh, Matt Limegrover was at his game the other day. He was at the pit game as a pit guest. He'll be up for the game this weekend. And i um, curious to see where Penn State ranks because I think, you know, they've got a shot. And he's one of those guys, when you're talking about projecting offensive tackles, never a sure thing, but he's athletic enough. He's got a ba- basketball background. Um, his tape looks really, really good for a guy that's only played two career games at offensive tackle. So that's a, a good start for Penn State if they can get him back on campus. He was last on campus in July, took a couple visits in April. I'm running out of air talking about him because I'm high on this kid. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a good opportunity to get him back and, and show them what they've got. I remember seeing his 2017 film um, and and he was playing tight end and you know, he's you think, wow, this kid could be really good at offensive tackle. And just moves. Yeah, yeah. Just and, moves and that's exactly what you need and you know, to handle these kind of freakish edge rushers that you deal with on a consistent basis in Big Ten football and Power 5 football. You have to be able to match that with athleticism of your own, that agility. He's someone that, that definitely stands out. And in the 2020 class, Curtis Jacobs stands out to me, Sean, because we saw him at Penn State camp this summer. Plays wide receiver, but 
again, another guy who could end up at like three different positions in college. Wants to play wide receiver. He's, he's about 6'1", getting, getting close to 230. Um, he can move. I mean, he's a, he's a really good athlete. I have him projected as a, as a weak side linebacker. Uh, he could probably play in the box, I guess. But, uh, yeah, he's just an athletic kid, um, knows where the football is at all times, started out his season pretty well. Um, he's got offers from everywhere. But uh, Curtis Jacobs, a former – I guess we could call him a former teammate of P.J. Mustafers at mm-hmm. uh, McDonough. Um, so, yeah, a couple of 2020 guys really stand out. We're going to talk a little bit more about visitors as we continue to get them confirmed throughout Thursday evening and, and into Friday morning. So look for that on the site on Friday. Uh, i got a slideshow coming your way. I'm sure you're pumped about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it's a better-than-expected weekend um, for visitors uh, for Penn State. Bringing back the mailbag, um, first question, uh, who will be beside Gibbons as the other starting defensive tackle in November? My first thought is I think it's I think it's Windsor. I mean I I haven't seen anything to take his job. I know that uh, there were some good splash plays by Fred Hansard and Ellis uh, excuse me Ellison Jordan last week. Antonio Shelton to me is a solid guy, but Windsor I think is uh, is a guy that sucks is going to suck up blockers. Yes, he needs to be better, but I think he's going to be that guy come November. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'd say Robert Windsor is the starting guy. But it's important that the other players step up, even if they're not starters. So crucial to have two, even three deep in the interior of the defensive line. Yeah. One thing better than you expected. Anything off the top of your head? Uh, I think I would probably have to go with K.J. Hamler. For as much excitement as there was, I kind of just wondered if it was going to be like one play in a game and then you know start to build off that. But really, since that second half against App State, can make a case for him being the most impressive player on the Penn State roster. And I, I think I'm just blown away by how quickly he has converted the hype into reality. Yeah, he's, he's something special. I'm going to go with the tight ends. Um, I know we talked about them earlier on the on the episode. But for what we were expecting from this group, we were downplaying the hell out of them all summer long. And, and for good reason. I mean, you, you didn't know what you were going to get. But they've been solid. And I know it's just two games and the sample size is limited. But they've been able to catch. They've been able to block a little bit, open some things up in the running game. And, and, and I'm... I'm curious what the future looks like because I'm, I'm high on Friar Muth. Obviously, Zach Koontz is a guy that's got a lot of potential, um, but those guys that are in front of him, Holland and Dalton, have been just fine as well. Yeah, I'm with you, and, and I think it's better that we downplayed them rather than telling you that everything's okay. There's three Mike Sickies that are ready to take over. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> one thing worse than I expected, um, I think I'm going to go with the tackling. That's the easy one on my part. Um, it's just... It's one of those things where you're not really sure how it's going to look until you get into a live game situation. And when they got into a live game situation, it looked really bad. So they came along last week in the second half, have done well. But as I mentioned, guys like Garrett Taylor, they're they're getting to the football, just not finishing off plays. And and you can't do that against some of the upper echelon teams that Penn State's going to play against over the next uh, couple of months. I'm going to go back to the wide receiver. I mentioned K.J. Hamler being... Better than I expected. Obviously, I think Jawan Johnson, DeAndre Tompkins, we heard it from McSorley. We heard it from Franklin. The standard that they set for themselves is higher than this. Um, you know, DeAndre Tompkins to have with three drops against Pitt, no catches on the season. I know he had the punt return. He's going to be a weapon there. Uh, but Jawan Johnson, a guy who, again, needs to assert himself. I know he leads the team with eight catches right now, resulting in 90 yards, no scores for him. So I think those guys need to get rolling. And, and you lose Gisicki, you lose Deshaun Hamilton, guys who had – 
receptions records at their position, you expect the veterans to step up, be ready to take the mantle. And, and so far, it just has not happened. And I think until that happens, we're not going to see this offense operating at full capacity. Yeah, and, and he's got to be a number one. We said it, every, I think, on every episode so far, he has to establish himself as a number one. He has not done that. Uh, in talking with other recruits, are you getting the sense that all the play that the freshmen are getting is making Penn State an attractive school to attend given the chance to play early? No, actually. I mean, it's it's one of those things where this rule has really changed a lot of things, um, but everybody is on sort of on that level playing field where you've got an opportunity to play these guys, and every school is playing freshmen right now. And, and, and I'm not sure where the numbers stand, where Penn State stands compared to some of their competitors, but... But it, it probably what nine freshmen have played so far. I don't think Penn State's you know at the top of that list. So I don't think that really changes anything. They will come in and play freshmen. I mean, James Franklin has said that before this rule is in place. They will play freshmen if they have the chance. But I don't think it really changes anything in the mindset of these recruits, other than hey, now I have an opportunity to play, even if I have that or even if I get that red shirt at the end of the day. Yeah, Penn State has unique selling points with recruits, but I don't think this is one because it's not unique. Like you said, that playing field is even. I want to talk about a team that plays freshmen? Look at Illinois last year because they had to. I think ultimately with this, though, uh, I will say one thing. Seeing Ricky Slade find himself a role and, and them using the three running backs, I think that helps a little bit with maybe running back recruit because even if there's a Miles Sanders ahead of you, if you're good enough, we're going to find ways to get you the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on, do you think we see Stevens against Kent State? I don't. Uh, or just Clifford or Levis. I'm curious. We, we talked about Sean Clifford a little bit. I'm curious if they, if they pull uh, Levis into the game. I'm not sure that, you know, it, it, it obviously has to be the right situation, but I'm not sure that's a bad idea. I mean, you've got an opportunity for him to come in, maybe run a couple quarterback draws. I mean, you're not looking – I know we talked about not running up the score, but against Kent State, you're probably not looking to uh, score some style points with your third or fourth quarterback. But, um, yeah, I think we see Clifford, maybe even uh, a little bit of Michael Schuster to, to reward him for his, uh, you know, sticking with the program and everything like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't – think we see levis just yet but i could see it i could see why they would do it yeah i'm not anticipating stevens that would be a surprise to see him out there I, he'll probably be out there for warm-ups he was in pad on the practice field i just right. don't see him playing uh Clifford, absolutely. Get that get that kid as many reps yeah, as possible. That's the key right here. And, and by the way, this is the difference between college football and NFL. Late in the game, turns into almost a scrimmage because if you have a blowout. Because you want these guys to get looks. If you, you want to have film in. to evaluate. And by right. the way, just the experience of playing in front of a crowd of that many people, it's something that these guys are not accustomed to. With Levis, I mean, if he's ready. Uh, if you have any doubts about where he is right now, you don't want to screw up his confidence because it sounds like he's coming along really well behind the scenes. Hey, if you feel like he's ready to go lead a series, even if it's just hand the ball off a few times, why not? Yeah, absolutely. And a guy that we did not mention before, Rasheed Walker, getting some extended yes, run yes. Um, with the twos this week. So I would not be shocked to see him at all come out behind Des Holmes at left tackle. I think he's obviously a guy in the mix for your left tackle of the future. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, it should be, uh, once again, fun to see some of these young guys. Uh, finally, the best or most reporter-friendly Penn State interview you've ever had, player or coach. Well, it's kind of a segue because uh, Saquon was just awesome at everything, including handling the media. Um, he had a, a quote 
to, I believe it was Kim Jones. All right, I mean, he might have been talking to a pack of reporters about the Pitt game on Thursday where you know he was asked about having a rival and Pitt tried to be the rival and it did not work out too well for him. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but that's that's Saquon. I mean, he's he's number one in terms of players I've seen and he's right up there in terms of players that I've dealt with, or excuse me, dealt with. Um, Sean Lee's up there. Um, you know, Rich Ornberger was fantastic um, to work with just because he was just such a funny guy and, and going through those sanction years, uh, Madi was great to deal with, and and uh, it was just there's so many guys that really pop out to you. But just the personalities are, are one of the cool things about the job because you you sort of learn what to ask, what not to ask, when to ask it, when not to ask. Uh, Jared Odrick, how bad their defensive line looked, as I learned one time. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's it's one of the thing, fun things about it. But Saquon to me is is number one. It's hard to argue with Barkley. He was. I mean, I've only had one season with him. And- and all the guys you're talking about, you've been here for a long time, Sean. And for him to stand out, that says a lot because you cover a lot of players here at Penn State. And, and, and I'm with you with that. But for me, I'm going to go with someone who I really enjoy covering as a recruit. And now that he's broken out, K.J. Hamler. And I think we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg of the kind of personality that he's going to present. burn yourself out on K.J. Hamler here. Well, yeah. he's just somebody – I will tell you, what sold me on K.J. Uh, after that game, uh, Appalachian State, it's an emotional game. He was just so honest about his journey coming back from that torn ACL. He talked about sitting in his room crying. And this is a guy who doesn't need to tell us any of that. So I really appreciate honesty. Um, and we got a lot of that from Saquon Barkley and personality. You get plenty of it with KJ. I will tell you, though, if he gets his turn, Sean Clifford is going to be tremendous as the face of the offense at his quarterback if that comes down the road because uh, he's a funny guy. Yeah, there's a lot of guys in that 2019 or excuse me 2018 class that can that can talk. PJ Mustafer is one oh, guy great. that yeah. yeah he could talk forever if you let him. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Going back to when KJ was oh, a hold recruit, on hold on sorry well, Sean. Jesse Lucetta oh yeah. Yeah, Jesse Lucetta, I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I had an opportunity to write a few stories on this guy during his recruitment, and he was just, you want to talk about open about the thing, and he was a leader of the class. I definitely feel bad about not mentioning him, and I don't want to change up on KJ, but it's Jesse Lucetta. Well, it's going back to, and I, and I opened something on my phone here, a mini board that we did in 2016, and, you know, obviously in the t- class of 2017, there were a bunch of guys, Penn State ended up signing um, uh, Cam Sullivan, Brown, Matt Hippenhammer, and, and and Hamler, but Mark Webb was really the guy that was the focal point for much of the process. And you know, I'm making up this this board in 2016 and talking to some people in the program. I'm like, hey, so Mark Webb's it, right? They're like, nah, KJ Hamler, he's the dude. He is the number one target. And by the way, the number three target on this list is CJ Holmes, who's obviously now running back at Penn State because Penn State recruited him as a wide receiver. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, KJ was such a dynamic player and a guy that they wanted in the program. Um, this is a guy that, um, you know, you, you saw as a future punt returner, you saw as a slot receiver, but you also saw as, as sort of a Marcus Allen type face of your program. And I think it's trending that way. And, and I can sit there right with you and say, he's, he's going to be something to watch in the next couple of years. Yeah, and we just keep hearing, Oh, he's like Marcus Allen. He's like Marcus Allen. We heard that before he played a single down of college football. That speaks volumes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have spoken volumes for about 49 (laughs) minutes here. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Of course, we'll be back uh, to recap the game. Not as early as we did last week. We're not traveling to Pittsburgh together in a monsoon like we did last week. So um, it will be up probably early Monday. Thank you for joining us. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify. Give us a rating or whatnot. We are the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) 